everybody. Welcome to the Yamcast. My name is Erica. And I am Chris. Yam actually stands for Young Adult Ministry. So the goal of this podcast is to talk about college and young adult ministry and how to effectively do that. Yeah. And the music in our episode is from our lovely friend Brian Nielsen and James DeWall. He just makes us sound so good. Christopher, Judges four. Judges four and five. Our next, um, our next judge number four. I'll I don't. That. I'm, I'm not really keeping track. But judges yes. four. Our next one is number four. That's fun. Right. So so far we've had Othniel, mm-hmm. Ehud, Shamgar. Who's the best one of them all? Shamgar. Mm-hmm. And now Deborah. She's Debbie. Un- she's unique among the judges. Can't figure out why. Oh, maybe because I just said she is unique among the judges. Oh. There's a little... She's a woman? She's a woman. And we actually know her name? It's pretty awesome. Such a rare thing in the Bible. Have a woman and have them named. Not only named, but two names. Both women. Big parts of the story here. Doing big things. So let's dive into it. Let's, please. Basic storyline. Here's the basic storyline of Judges 4 and 5. Deborah is awesome. Period. All right, done. Exclamation point. See you next week. All right. But I do want to point out a couple things in the basic storyline. So she is hanging out by a tree. She's hearing from the Lord. And Barak, this general, comes to her, asks for some opinions. He comes to her, by the way, because she beckoned him to come to her. And she beckoned him because I'm guessing she had a, a vision from the Lord or the Lord told her, hey, I told Barak to go up there and take care of, of these individuals. And he's not doing it. And he's down playing by the river. Correct. And so she beckons for him to come. He comes, and then she takes care of the rest. So that's pretty cool. And then they uh, win the battle because of some really cool heroics that we're going to get into in a minute. Mm-hmm. And then they sing a song together because that's what everyone does whenever they finish a battle. Song and dance. Can you just imagine if every battle ended with a song today? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I wonder how they would go. I remember years ago... It was really kind of a big deal. We invaded Iraq, right, because we felt that they were tied to the Taliban, which all those opinions, I don't want to hear any of that. That's not what we want you to email about. Mm-hmm. But I remember watching us invade Iraq, and it was the first time we had cameras in with troops and all that kind of stuff. Can you imagine if after every battle they were like, hey, let's write a song, and then they just did it. Hey, it's the Battle of Baghdad song. I imagine Eminem would have written most of those songs. Or maybe who was it that did Bombs Over Baghdad? I don't know. Bombs over Baghdad. Is that is all, those the words? Did I, I make them up? I don't know. I've all never right, really heard that song. Are you? No. I don't oh, listen. it's Outcast. Is it Outcast? Let me look it up. You keep talking. So maybe there, we did write a song after every battle, and I just didn't know it. All right. So anyway, so basically Judges 4 and 5 is that. Deborah is involved with this. Uh, Barack comes into the story. Barack goes to fight the battle. A woman wins the battle for him, and that's basically the storyline. And then Barack and Deborah do the first duet of the Bible, and they sing a song together. I say it's the first duet. It's not really because the song of Miriam back in Exodus was really Miriam and Moses. And Moses, yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. So, All of you who are curious, it is, it's called B.O.B., Bombs Over Baghdad, Outcast. Anyways, bringing me back. So you totally know your stuff. To 2000. All right, a couple things. Yeah, that totally dates us and shows you that we're on the very edge of millennials. We are... <laughs> We're not Gen Z. All right. So with that said, she 
here's some things that are really amazing about Deborah that are unique about her, about the judges in general. So that didn't make any sense maybe, but let me say it this way. There are some characteristics of judges that you're going to see all through the book of judges that are pretty common. They're not what you expect them to be. They usually are kind of like turds and they, uh, by doing so, they sort of don't live the way you'd want them to live or do what you'd want them to do. They're also going to steadily get worse. So we go from Othniel. By the time we get to the end of this book and into the next book where we start talking about the last of the judges, which is First Samuel, they are just bad people. And you're supposed to see that everyone is doing things in their own eyes and it's steadily getting worse. The difference is here's what's different about Deborah compared to all of the others that are going to come. She's public, so she's out in the public. Nobody has any doubt about what's going on. I want you to compare that to next week with Gideon. Okay, that's one thing. Second, she's honest. That should seem like it's a thing that just goes along with the judge, but it unfortunately is not. And third, she's in contact with the Lord, and others know that she's in contact with the Lord. So in that sense, she's basically a prophetess, and there's some beautiful things going on. So with that said, I thought I'd read Judges 4, 4 through 10, and just kind of show you these characteristics popping out. So now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of uh, Lapidoth, which is a great, great name. You can tell where they totally got together because they were just hanging out one night. And she's like, hi, I'm Deborah," And he's like, I'm Lapidoth. And she's like, dude, you're going to be my husband. It's a solid name. It is. So she was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of uh, Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men in Mount Tabor. Uh, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. And Barak said, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up to heels, and Deborah went up with him. So it's just a couple things you see there. She's public. She's out in the open. She's honest. She's not pulling eight punches. She's just speaking exactly how it is. And ultimately, she actually is hearing from the Lord. Almost every judge from here on out will maybe hear from the Lord, but they're not like in a constant contact sort of deal. It's more of a, like you're going to see with Gideon, Gideon, God shows up to show Gideon some stuff, and Gideon just kind of like doubts the whole thing, and it's kind of weird. Samson actually has no contact with the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird. And we, as we move down the list, you're going to hear, you know, very few of the judges actually have a consistent relationship with the, with the Lord, which sounds crazy, but that's part of what we're supposed to see in the book of Judges is this is not the way it's supposed to go. All right. So up till now, here's what we have. Joshua has died, didn't finish the job. That was intentional. The tribes didn't finish the job, which was disobedient, and they consistently rebel against God and what God wants to do. So what God does is he raises up judges. So far we have Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, and Deborah. Uh, And I want you to notice Barak here isn't the judge, nor is he the hero. Mm -hmm. Yet he's the one that's going to fight the battle. So I I put it this way. This is like the Mulan of the Moana of the Old Testament. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Like a woman who takes charge wins the victory that a man was intended to win. It's kind of a weird tie-in, but it's kind of the same concept, right? Well, and 
But she wasn't intending to do that in the beginning. No, she wasn't supposed to go in the battle at all. And she wasn't intending to have any of the glory, wasn't intending any of those things. But because somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do, she's like, all right, well, I got to step up. That's basically the storyline. Mm-hmm. And we're going to dive into that deeper next. When we cover the deeper dive. There you go. Rock and roll. So a couple things I want to point out with the deeper dive. Uh, and this is, you know, we just talked about the basic storyline. The deeper dive, we're going to dive into a couple different concepts. I have three big ones here that I think would be fun to tie into. Jump in as you please. All right. And certainly push my buttons. Uh, as we talk about things and you're like, oh, what about this? Let's do it. Here's, I want to start off with this. The song of Deborah is really disturbing. It, this isn't the song that you would listen to like on, we, like our local radio station that's kind of hip hoppy poppy is 97Z OK. They would never play this song. And I'll show you why in just a second. No, you don't I think also so. don't think this is like the thing where, you know, if you had like a child daycare type of thing back in the ancient times, this isn't one of the songs that you'd sit around and teach the children at the daycare. This wouldn't be on your children's you know, CD? You're like, okay, everybody, let's clap our hands and let's sing a children's song. <laughs> it doesn't start like this. Between her feet, he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet, he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. There's no way to sing that in a happy way. But it's a song, so... You know, it's a thing. Well, then, we, we sing lots of things that shouldn't be sung happily. We, I feel like we do sing them happily. Like the story like, of Ring Around the Rosie. Whoa, we just did that. Right. Ring Around the Rosie has a really dark, twisted side to it. But this is very open. This woman let a guy lay down in her tent, and then he died as he sank deeper and deeper into the deeper dive. No, that's not true. That's not how we do it. I mean, I feel like this is the part that could be. It's Hold like, <laughs> he sank, he fell. It's like responsatory. Well, that's he what sank, I'm... he fell. He lay still. Yeah, know? that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. the kids would love to sing this. I can think of the motions right now. You know, he fell, he sank, he fell, and he died. Yeah. And nobody likes that song. Then it goes on to say this. Out of the window, she peered. And you might be thinking, oh, who's looking? This is so interesting. Who's Who's looking? The mother of Cicero wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of the chariots? Her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man. Spoil of dyed materials for Cicero. Spoil of dyed materials embroidered. Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the, for the neck as spoil. I think I think that's a Billboard top. It 10. is a dark and twisted song. This is not the kind of thing that you'd like just sing. This isn't a Sunday school class deal. So the man who just died, his if you mom. didn't know, his mother is looking for him. She's, and look- she's looking through the lattice. She's looking out the window, going, "Where is he?" Oh, Cicera, what's taking you so long to come home? Did you not win the battle? Are you not dividing the spoils? And she's going to keep looking out the window. And he ain't coming home because he died. Because he fell deeper and deeper into the deeper dive. All right. So awkward, but I just want you to know, these would have been the types of songs that, you know, little Jewish children would have learned in Hebrew, but it's kind of a weird- Very different from today. Quite. Yeah. This isn't, this is, once again, not going to be sung on VeggieTales. Right. Or put it a different way, this ain't no wheels on the bus. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So that's the first thing in the deeper dive. And the songs that are mostly in the Bible typically have a really dark, twisted side to that, like that. Not the kind of thing you'd want to teach your kids. 
But what I would say is the Bible's full of this stuff and they did teach kids it. And so maybe sometimes we're sheltering the children of the West a little too much and not telling them this is what life's really like. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's a point that I wanted to point out and just kind of let us think through for a minute. All right. Second major point of the deeper dive is this. Barak is a wuss. Uh, He is a huge wuss. So he hears from the Lord. The Lord says, Barak, I want you to go up and I want you to fight. I want you to take on these terrible people, the Canaanite tribes that are up against you. I want you to get out there. I want you to do your job. And Barak was in that timeout with God. And they went, break. And he ran onto the playing field and kept running all the way to the locker room and hid himself out. That's what? basically what he did. He didn't even play in the game. Okay. God's like, all right, everybody come here. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to win the battle. We're going to take out the the promised land. We're going to make it yours again. We're going to, you know, they've been being mean to you for a while now. We're going to totally fix the problem. And here's what I need you to do. Jabin, king of Canaan, is a bad dude. Barak, I want you to go take care of him. And Barak's like, I totally hear you, God. And God's like, all right, let's break. And everyone's like, break. And then he goes, and he runs through the field all the way to the locker room, puts on his clothes, and goes home. That reminds me of that one movie where the little boy, I don't remember what, they're playing baseball, and they say run home, and he literally just runs home. Yeah, he just kept running and yeah. ran home. That's exactly the yeah. concept that we have here. So he's as like, he's, oh, go here? Oh, he, oh, over there. Okay, I'm going to go over there. Right. Over there, okay. So as he's running home, he gets home and realizes Deborah is asking for him, so he turns around and runs over. He's like, hey, Deborah, what's up? She's like, did God not tell you you're supposed to go fight a battle? And I wonder what Barack's face was right there. Probably like, oh, shoot. Or he was like, what? No. Caught, caught me. That little dope. That kind of a face. Right. Like, oh, what an idiot. So Deborah, in a sense, becomes the hero of the story in the sense that she hears from God and she calls him on it and she makes him actually do what God wants him to do. Mm-hmm. What's amazing is she says, sort of ominously in chapter four, a woman is going to get the battle that you should have fought. So and even we, as you're reading it, you think that's going to be Deborah. Correct. But it ain't going to be Deborah. I think almost everybody who's reading the story might think, yeah, Deborah's going to be the victor. And Barack maybe is like, oh, he as long as it's it Deborah, yeah. I can be okay with that. Like, she's legit. I can let her win. But then it's this random in the middle of the desert. Right. So the basic storyline starts like this. Uh, and if you don't have a map in front of you, I don't know how else to do this. So I'm just going to kind of describe the battle. We'll put one in the show notes. Oh, good idea. So the Canaanites set up their main headquarters in Hatsor, which is just north of the Sea of Galilee. This battle happens just a few miles west of the Sea of Galilee. And the battle is finally won just a couple of miles east of what we know as Mount Carmel. And that's a major famous place. Caramel? No, Carmel. Oh, okay. Not Caramel. Because of other things that happen in the Bible. So... This is a pretty lush area. It's a lush valley. It's also flat all the way. So they attacked the Israelites. The Canaanites attacked the Israelites on an area called Mount Tabor. Uh, our guide in Israel, when I went to Israel a couple of years ago, called it the belly bottom. I think he meant belly button. It's like an Audi. It's just There's a plane and there's just an Audi sitting in the middle of the plane, and that's mm. Mount Tabor. So the Israelites set up camp on Mount Tabor. They're ready to go fight the battle. The Canaanites rush up to, to destroy them. The Israelites win, and in, in the process of them winning, uh, the Canaanites run away, and they start heading toward the, the, the Mediterranean Sea. And in the process, their chariots get caught up in the river, the Kishon. And as their chariots get caught up in the river, they don't know what to do, so they all freak out, and Sisera runs away. So he's running away, and all of a sudden, the Israelite troops start to follow him, and they follow him through the wilderness, and they're running all the way 
and they end up almost back toward Hatsur. So if you can kind of imagine, like we're talking dozens and dozens of miles here. He ends up in this place, and I want to hear you say this word, Za'ananim. Za'ananim. There you go. So Za'ananim is when where... You, when you get to hear somebody else say it, it's much easier. <laughs> when you see it written down, you're like, Za'ananim. Exactly. So Za'ananim is, a, is an oak forest or tree set up, and there's this person living here who's connected to a group of people called the Kenites, and it's just kind of a crazy thing. So I want to dive into this for a minute with you. And just kind of talk about it because it's one of those weird things that people don't really know what they're talking about. And I want to show you how deep Bible scholarship goes. And I partly want to do this with our with our listeners who might be young adults and college students. You know, the the end of Gen X and the beginning of Gen Y all the way to Gen Z. Like that's kind of the muddled group of people that we're talking to. And I think one of the big things that I hear from people all the time is, you guys didn't think the Bible through. Like you... You just believe all this stuff because it was going to shove down your throat. I want to show you that there is no part of the Bible that hasn't been thoroughly combed through to discuss. And so let me show you what I'm talking about here. There's this woman who wins this battle for for uh, Barak and Deborah. Her name is Jael. And Jael, what she does is she's hanging out in her tent. She pops out of the tent, which suggests that she's in charge of the tent. The fact that there's not a man stepping out of the tent to, to greet a well, like a welcome party mm. would suggest that she's in charge, which might mean that, that this is a, you know, a multi-wife, a polygamous situation. Okay. And often what would happen in polygamous societies is you would have multiple tents for each one of your wives would have one. Sort of like if you've ever watched the show Sister Wives, they all have their own house, right? And part of that was so that they kept private from each other. Part of that too was that you had your own family group. Mm-hmm. So Jael is in her tent. She pops out. This guy's running by, Cicera, and she goes, hey, come on in and, and you know, take a, take a nap. So she he comes in. She gives him some milk. He lays down because it's it's nice, warm tent, and it's a nice, you know, warm milk, and it's been a long day fighting, running like a chicken. Yeah. So she lets him fall asleep, and as she lets him fall asleep, she takes a, pe- a tent peg, and she puts it next to his temple, and she nails his head to the ground. And she kills the, the general of the Canaanite army. It's not gruesome at all. It's amazing and super, super cool. So Jael becomes the, the main character of, of the story without any, and I say main character, she's only mentioned in this one verse or a couple of verses. She's mentioned in the song that Deborah sings, and then she's never mentioned again. Mm. Here's what we do know about her, and this is mentioned multiple times in Judges 4, so I'll just point this out. She's the wife of Heber the Canite, and the Canite, here's what I'm, I'm going to dive into this with you to show you how much people think about this stuff. The Kenites, nobody knows where these people came from. The Kenite, the word is tied to the word Cain, which would have been descendants of Cain from Adam's lineage. Cain and Abel. Yep. Cain became a mighty warrior. And in so him doing becoming a mighty warrior, he actually helped uh, set up farming. Some of the agricultural systems of the Old Testament all came from Cain's descendants. Hmm. Cain's descendants were the first music players. They were the first iron workers. They were the first, they did all of this stuff. And there's all this crazy literature tied to where some of this stuff came from. Like maybe they were meeting with other angelic beings or divine beings who are, you know, like some of these rebellious, right. Some of these rebellious angels maybe were teaching them things or rebellious divine figures would probably be the better way to say it. And but the Kenites are all tied to Cain. And so there's this idea that if you hear the word Kenite, you'd usually mean it's nomadic. It's someone who 
they are usually good with working with metal, working with stuff like that. So that's where the tent peg might have come from, the hammer, all that kind of stuff. Like all that's sort of normal for her. So all those things are thrown in the story, which should make us go, oh, okay, totally. Jael means uh, mountain goat or wild goat or ibex. And there's some discussion on this as to whether that's her real name or whether it's sort of like a cheeky play of words because uh, earlier in the book of Exodus, it's mentioned that the Midianites sort of live in caves. And so it's possible that they named her JL to make it just be like, wink, wink, really check this out. Like, this Mm. is a unique woman who comes from nowhere. Here's the problem, though, and I don't know if you've thought this through. If the Kenites are descended from Cain, why are they still on the planet? Because that would have been pre-flood. Yeah. So there's tons of discussion about that in biblical scholarship. Is Noah's wife a, a, a Kenite or is there something else going on altogether? And where it gets even crazier, and this is where I'm going to kind of show you how much scholarship talks about this stuff. There's some weird connections that happen in the Bible. For example, uh, Abraham has multiple wives. Are you familiar with that yes, idea? Yeah. Okay. So in Genesis chapter 25, we find out that Abraham has multiple wives. So he had Hagar first. She wasn't really a wife. She was more of a concubine. But Hagar has a son named Ishmael, and Ishmael has 12 sons. If you wanted to go through the list of those names, Genesis 25, the first few verses is where all that is. But those names are Nabioth and Kedar and Adbeel uh, and Midsam and all these other names, blah, 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 blah. Then Abraham has the wife, Sarah, who has the son, Isaac. And we're familiar with his name because he's the father of the Israelites, you know, on and on and on. And on. Isaac's two sons, Jacob and Esau. Mm-hmm. Esau is tied to Edom, Edomites, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Abraham has a later wife named Keturah. And Keturah has multiple children, one of which is named Midian. So now, the Midianites. Here's where this starts to come interesting. So there's a group of people living in the land on the south end of Israel called the Midianites. I should say the south end of the promised land. Me calling it Israel is, is kind of not really true. It's, it's more of the Midianites itself, uh, the promised land. So the Midianites living in the promised land, and they have all of these weird stories tied to them, one of which is uh, Moses's wife is married, to obviously, to Moses, Keturah, but she's tied to her father, obviously. That, that's who you get tied to and your, mm-hmm. you know, your dad. But he's a Midianite priest of Yahweh. So like a convert. He's actually following God before yeah. Moses even starts to follow God. And in fact, the words are used, Yahweh. So there's a there's a Midianite Kenite connection there. We're not sure. There's tons of scholarship on it. If you want to go find it, you can type in Midianite Kenite controversy. You you will find paper after paper after paper. There are scholars writing all over the place. And here's why this matters. <clears throat> These are individuals who maybe were more connected to Yahweh than they were to other gods. So whereas mm-hmm. the Canaanites are worshiping other gods like Baal and Ashereth Asher, and all this, mm-hmm. you've got this these group of individuals who are descended from Abraham, who might have a connection with the line of Cain, which might mean that Noah's wife was, a, like I said, like a Canaanite yeah. or something like that. There's some kind of connection. But ultimately what you start to see here is you've got metal workers, they're Canaanites that are fighting against the people of God. Yet there's a metalworking group living just on the edge of the promised land. And this particular family, Giles husband and, and the rest of the wives or whatever, they're living way further north than everybody else. They're, we don't know why they settled in uh, Za'ananim, but they settled there and it's way farther outside their people. In fact, the book of Judges even tells us that they had separated from Hobath, uh, Hobab, the father-in-law of Nemosis, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Za'ananim, which is near Kadesh. That's in... Uh, Judges 4.11. So here's why I'm bringing all this up. 
Jael becomes the hero of this story. Jael is living with a group of people that are connected to Yahweh, but they aren't actually Israelites. That should make us pause for a second and go, wait, what's going on here? And then you start to read, if you go back to Deuteronomy 2, 3, 4, and so on and so forth, you start to realize that all of the people groups who are connected to Abraham are fighting some of the same battles the Israelites are before the Israelites even get there. Interesting. So the Israelites are supposed to take out the promised land, but they're not doing that just to, totally in a vacuum. Some of the work that's already been done for them. In fact, the, the tribes of the Transjordan, they live on the other side of the Jordan. They're able to do that partly because the Moabites, the Ammonites, some of these other groups have, have wiped out part of the land already and kind of prepared it for the Israelites. The Amorites? Are they in there too? Not the Amorites. Oh, the Amorites okay. are actually bad guys along with the Philistines and others. They're living all in the region, but they're worshiping other gods, doing things they shouldn't mm. be doing. But you're going to find these little pockets of people, which is why I'm bringing it up at all, who are committed to the, to, to the Lord, to Yahweh. So here's why I bring this up at all. One of the questions that I read about is people don't know if Jael was actually worshiping Yahweh. Maybe Yahweh told her, go outside the tent. I want you to find mm -hmm. this guy. I want you to do this. That would make a ton of sense that she jumps into the story and she's faithful to Yahweh. And it turns out to be that she ends up being basically the hero. But she's hardly mentioned in the story at all. Barak's name is mentioned way more than Jael. Mm -hmm. I mean, once again, it is God using whoever to yes. make his plan come to be. Like I'm um, listening to another podcast where they're going through Esther and that same exact thing. Like God's plan will come to be. Will you be a part of it or will you not? Someone else then will rise up and, and do your job if right. you're not going to, you know? Which leads me to the third part of the deeper dive. So the first part that I want to point out here is this is the worst Christian, uh, children's song ever, not Christmas song. Worst children's song ever. It wouldn't ever. be a good Christmas song either. Yeah. Barack is a wuss. Deborah calls him, you know on to do the, the job he's supposed to do. Jael becomes the faithful hero, which is great. Which leads us to number three, women rise up to do the job when men don't. This is a very common description in scripture. And it all goes back to Genesis chapter three, where God shows up and says to Adam, where have you been? And Adam's like, she, she ate the fruit. And she's like, well, no, the serpent made me do it. They keep blaming everybody else. And what mm -hmm. God's judgment is, is Adam, you're gonna have to work hard to do the job. You know, serpent, you're cursed. But then he says to the woman, you're going to desire to rule your husband, but he's going to have control. Which shows us that the original relationship with man and woman was supposed to be much more symbiotic, much more beautiful. But for some reason, men didn't step up. So God gives them the challenge. From here on out, you're going to have to step up. But one of the beautiful things we see is in scripture, women constantly stepping up and doing the job that men aren't. Which, boys, that should make us you know, get a kick in the britches. Like we should, we should get up and get, go, get going, become the, you know, the, the dads we're supposed to be, become the husbands we're supposed to be. But in the, in the process that we don't, so many of us in the world, and, and, you know, I'm one of those, and there's many others in my life as well, whose moms did a great job of leading us to the Lord, showing us what it looks like to follow the Lord. So women will do the job when men don't do the job. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. It's a common biblical theme you know, Eve stepped in and did the job she wasn't supposed to do. That was a wrong situation. Sarah steps in and gives Hagar. That's a wrong situation. Hannah steps in and prays when no one else is going to, and she gets a kid out of the deal. We're going to get to that later on. Mm -hmm. Ruth steps in and does something beautiful, but she's a Moabite. She's not even an Israelite, and yet she's more faithful to Yahweh than other people. Esther does the right thing. You just mentioned that. Lydia does the right thing in the book of Acts. Rahab does an iffy thing, but Rahab steps in and does something that men aren't doing. 
Tamar, same thing. She steps in and does something that she shouldn't. That's an iffy situation. But I want to, here's the question that I would ask if I was doing the deeper dive with, you know, like a college Bible study or something is how do, are the women in the group using the power they have? Like every woman that I've ever met has way more power than they give themselves credit for. Sometimes they use it for evil. Sometimes they know the power they have and they use that to influence the world for the better. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And I look at JL and I'm going, that's exactly what she's doing. She's using her skills, her ability, however she's learned them. To hammer. To hammer the man's. <laughs> she hammers that dude's head to the ground. It's a With it, some force. It's a beautiful story in the sense that she steps up and wins the battle because Barack's a fool and won't do what he's supposed to do. So, boys, if you're listening to this, maybe quit playing video games in the basement eating Doritos. Step up. Get a Mom. job. Yeah, get a job. Get ready to lead a household. That's what you were called to do. Ladies, just keep being awesome and look for a guy who's not playing video games in the basement eating Doritos all day. And if you guys get together and you guys choose to get married and you're both running after the Lord, you're going to do tremendous things together as opposed to little tiny things that you each could do on your own. When in saying that, I think sometimes it can be taken as, well, then that means I lead, I have the power, I blah, blah, blah. Like the male could take that to be what that is. Like, yeah. So in saying that, that does not mean that you have power over your wife. But I'm not exactly sure how I want to say that. But that you're supposed to do it, yeah, together rather than right. one is above the other. If that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I guess what I'm saying is, ladies, if you don't realize it, you have tremendous power. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes that power is over men. There's, you know, I've met a lot of friends who are just completely bewitched by the woman that they're interested in. You know, they would do anything. They can't even think clearly because they're just so attracted to her. And there's a power that comes with being a woman. There really, really is. And I think one of the sad parts about our society is, Instead of understanding that and using it to the glory of the Lord, girl power becomes something kind of twisted and Mm -hmm. messed up. But what the scriptures seem to be applauding are the individuals who understand what it looks like to be in control because God's letting you do something because he's actually the one that's in control. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So you're submitting to him, which is what we're all supposed to be doing anyway. And as you submit to him, God might use you in ways that he would never use a man in that particular story. Because for whatever reason, God has set it up that way, right? Well, and we're different. Men and women are different, not intended necessarily to always do the same things. I'm reminded of um, the Elliots that were in Ecuador, and the males were going to do mission work to reach this unreached people group, this tribe, this remote tribe. And they ended up getting killed by the tribe. And the wives come to this tribe a little bit later and are actually, like, welcomed in. And a lot of that has to do with because men are far more intimidating than the woman coming in. So, um, yeah, there are certain things I think that one gender um, can do better than the other. But there's also things that they both can do equally mm-hmm. as well. So, um, But I, I also think that, yes, we are different. We are not the same. We do have different skills. Um, even just how our brains are wired are very different. So, 
I think, yeah, it's good to know what your skills are. What did he give you to do and do that rather than, I think often we end up looking to what somebody else's skill is and thinking that it's better. And I want to try to do that. I want to try to do what they're doing instead of staying in your lane and doing what you're supposed to be doing. Well, for all of you who really like the, um, you know, intro into Let's Get Practical, I don't think y'all go and get one today. No, I mean, that's basically... But bas- that's all right. Right. That's basically the idea that we were just talking about. Women are significantly important. Uh, I think sometimes in the church, women don't get the credit that they deserve. And I think sometimes people see the church as more chauvinist than it's, than it's intending itself to be. But probably the better way to think about it is, you know, the, the it's set up in such a way that we're supposed to um, work together in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. And men have been given a task because we messed up really bad the first time to, like, lead our households because we did such a bad job in the garden. Mm-hmm. And that's really more what the task is for men. And on the woman's side of that, you've been tasked with something beautiful of, you know, your co-rulers. You're supposed to be doing amazing things. And people just don't always see it that way. They don't fully understand it. But this story shows us how significant women are. And if they're walking with the Lord, they can push, you know, dummy men to do the job that they're supposed to do. Right, when I was a kid, uh, there was this song where they said, you know, Amster, Amster, shh, 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 Amster, Amster, shh, Because it's funny, like Amsterdam, you know, you just take it in little parts. Oh. Get it? Because then so you're going to say me, a swear word. You know what that makes me think of? Any, 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 Graham. Any, 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 Graham. It's good. I like it. So that's the segment. Enneagram. All right, so we have three people to chat about today. That is Deborah, Barack, or Barak, or however you want to say his name, and Jael, or Jail. Jail? All right, so to start off, Deborah is amazing. Deborah Mm -hmm. is my spirit animal. She's not about getting the glory or the fame for herself. She's just about doing what's right and doing what she knows to be true, and she is not going to take anything from anyone. Uh, So... I think that looking at some of the things that she did, that she is an eight or a three. An eight is not crippled. An eight and a three aren't, aren't usually crippled by fear or anxiety or insecurity. They just go out and do what needs to be done. They see it more as a like a challenge to overcome rather than being seeing it as like a weight to bear. I, I would see her more as probably an eight rather than a three because a three really wants glory for themselves and she really isn't about that. I mean, she brings him to her, and there's not like there's a huge crowd of people when she's talking to Barrick. Or, yeah, she's not saying she's going to get the glory by any means. So I think she is, um, she's more of an eight. She's not really scared to call people out and confront them, which an eight is not really afraid to do at all. And they don't really take any crap from anyone, and they just kind of call it like it is. They don't really beat around the bush, which a lot of us do. 
So standing up for what's right, I really think is a very eight move. So eights naturally uh, don't want to be a follower. They want to be a leader, except for that can also be, you know, a, a bad thing. That could be their vice a little bit too. And she's, she is okay with, with Barrick leading. Like she wants him to do it. But when he's not going to, she's like, fine, then I will, which is a very, a very eight thing. So I would say that Deborah is, is probably an eight. It's totally an eight thing to do. Yep. What's Barrick? Well, Barrick is not an eight, can we just say. Barrick is crippled by fear. Um, he does not want to necessarily, I, I feel as though he doesn't necessarily want to be the leader when things get hard. He only wants to be it when it's great and things are fine. Maybe he can be kind of more of a seven. A seven just wants to have the fun and not really deal with the hard things. So he's kind of like, peace. I'll be back when things are good. So it doesn't really want to do, or it doesn't really want to do the hard things alone. He kind of is like, if you go with me, like this will be so much better if we do this hard thing. So I think that, yeah, maybe he is a seven. He's like, I just am here for the fun. I'm not here for for this hard stuff. Like nobody said me being a general meant I was going to have to like fight nobody. I didn't know what that meant. So I think that he's probably, yeah, he's probably a seven where he's like, this got real and I don't really want to do that anymore. So in, when we win, I'll be there. But during this stuff, I'm out. So I think he could be a seven. Yeah, I think it's totally a seven. <laughs> I always love how this is the part you get the quietest because you have no idea. <laughs> maybe, uh, I, maybe I should know less things and I would talk, <laughs> and I would talk less. Maybe. So <clears throat> as you know, we know very little about Jael. So I'm, you know, I'm just saying maybe maybe Jael was just a little emotional that day. Maybe she was a little feeling melancholy. And she um I'm thinking maybe she was maybe she's a 4, you know, and she's just like I'm I'm really feeling my feelings today. And then she kind of slides more toward her three wing and she kind of becomes like a chameleon and she's like, "All right, how am I going to get this guy into my tent?" Because I really just want to hurt somebody today. Maybe that's how she is. She's just like, this guy looks like he's running from something bad. I think he needs to be punished. So she's Harley Quinn. Yeah, yeah, that's what she is. Legit. So she's like, you know, I know. I just need to tell him, hey, I'm just a, I'm just a woman. Don't be afraid. Come into my tent. I'll hide you. And then she's like, I got him right where I want him. Ten peg in the head. So that emotional feeling was like, and now I'm going to get my emotions out. Wa-bam, wa-bam, wa-bam. And then she feels great. She's actually, I imagine when the guy, well, because when people come and she's like, hey, guys, he's right here. It's like so great. Look, he's right here. And then she's fine. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking that's what she is. That is really twisted. Yeah. But I really like it. Yep. She's starring in Birds of Prey. Another disclaimer. I have no idea <laughs> who these people are. You've said this repeatedly. Yes. The Enneagram, the best way to sort of number someone is to spend a ton of time with them, get to know them, and then you're able to sort of not classify them, but sort of help them see who they are mm-hmm. through the lens of Enneagram. Yeah. We can't know these people. <laughs> and quite honestly, the authors are giving us only what they want to give us in these stories. Yeah. Right? So there's no way we know everything about Jael. She just kind of shows up in the story and then that's it. Yeah. All right. All right, so our yam spot. The yam spot. So with this one, um, 
just a reminder, this is the section where we just kind of help those people who are either developing something with young adults or trying to keep something going or maybe just them themselves are trying to, they're a young adult and they're trying to figure things out. So we kind of, we today wanted to talk about some resources and what's funny is we really don't have any named for you specifically, but that there are so many resources out there and you want to pick resources that really make them think a lot of young adults have grown up in the church and they have heard all of the quote unquote stories. So give them the stories that they haven't heard. I mean, that's one of the reasons we're doing judges. Nobody really knows these stories. Nobody knew about what you guys heard last week about the fat man and the lefty. And you probably didn't know about JL with the tent peg. Like tell them about the stories that they don't know. And that will kind of help them to see like, oh, it's not just Daniel and Lion's Den. And it's not just... Jonah and the Fish, which those are phenomenal stories. But even painting those in a different light, I think, is also helpful. I remember once when somebody was going through, and I know I already talked about Esther once, but another time somebody was talking about Esther, I always thought Esther as like this beautiful beauty pageant was just like, oh, my gosh, Esther won. That's so great. But it is really not. Like, it's kind of sexist and not good. Like, it's... It's not a beauty pageant that you maybe, I mean, maybe you wanted to win, maybe you didn't want to win, but other if you're in it, you're in it for life. Like, you're no longer gone. So maybe even just painting those stories that they already know in a different light, not changing them, not making them unbiblical, but just actually pointing out things. Because obviously in Sunday school, you hear the lovely parts because they're children, which we talked about. Maybe you need to bring in those other parts. I don't know. But but yeah, just making them see things in a different different light, making them think giving them something new to chew on. Yeah. I think one of the comments that I heard you know, a couple of years ago that I thought was super helpful is don't, don't keep people safe from their Bibles or put another way. Don't protect people from their Bibles. Like sometimes we just, we, we strip out all of the, the crazy stuff just to tell like a nice, happy little story. And usually what that ends up being is like a nice moral story of when you do this, this is always what happens. And if you don't do this, this is how it goes. When the truth is the Bible is way more dynamic and way more beautiful than that. So a lot of college students and young adults that I work with, uh, you know, they come to me and they go, well, yeah, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. And you're like, are you sure? Like, have you read it? Well, no, you know, I got this the thing. You're basing it on a Sunday school story that they stripped all the detail out just to make it sort of a nice story for you so you'd stop hitting your brother and saying that he didn't do it. <laughs> like, that's really how it goes. And we've turned it into more of a moral book then the Bible is even trying to do. Now, is it full of moral moments? Absolutely. Is it full of ways to sort of, you know, gauge interest or gauge desire or gauge, uh, you know, actions and that kind of thing? Absolutely. Is God teaching us how to live through the Bible? Absolutely. But it's also way more dynamic than that. And the Bible is supposed to be like read and then stopped and thought about a lot. We should read Judges and go, so should I be like JL? I probably shouldn't be luring people into my house and sticking a tent peg through their head. You know, like mm-hmm. if that was the moral of the story, then you totally missed it. But if you understand the moral of the story is here's a guy who knows what he's supposed to do. He's not doing it. And it takes a couple of women to call him out and make it happen. That should make us go, huh, maybe there's more to this story than we thought. Or, you know, go back to, you know, Ehud or others. There's, there's things happening there that the Bible's sort of winking at you saying, I really want you to pay attention to this. Are you reading it? Are you in it? And so if we avoid books like Judges or other things in the Bible, we're never fully seeing the Bible for what it is, which is this beautiful, dynamic, amazing narrative throughout the whole scripture that's giving you a chance to really think, whoa, God's doing something crazy here. There's a lot, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. 
So with that said, you know, you read the Bible, that's great, but there's also a ton of books that are really helpful about the Bible. I'm not saying anything here against Max Licato, for example, but Max Licato books, he's a great pastor. He's a phenomenal preacher. He's a great writer. You read his books and you can just like blitz right through them. But Max a little bit on the fluffy side as far as faith goes. And that's not a bad thing. I need those books every once in a while. And I'm mm-hmm. not, again, I'm not saying anything against Max Licato, but I'm saying if all you're reading is the fluffy stuff, if all you're reading is, oh, I found this pastor online and I love his sermon. So I read this book and, you know, I learned about this. Okay, that's fine. But a lot of books that are bestsellers are bestsellers because the entire culture has gobbled them up. I don't know if you've looked around, but most of us have a pretty low view of humanity. Humans are kind of dumb. We do a lot of dumb things. So if everyone's saying you need to read this book, there's a chance that maybe that's not the best resource to read. Mm -hmm. You you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Whereas there's tons of amazing books out there. Like if you haven't read something by John Walton, you need to read something by John Walton. He's an Old Testament scholar. Walt Kaiser, one of my heroes. Walt Kaiser is a phenomenal Old Testament scholar. Uh, There's a guy that I I went to seminary with, Joshua Jipp. He's not super known yet, but one of his books just tore me up when I read it. Um, Saved by Faith and Hospitality. Just a a fantastic understanding of the gospel and a way to really view maybe how we should take on some of the issues of the world, like immigration and other things. All that's wrapped into this book and through the lens of the gospel, right? Uh, Dr. Michael Heiser, we've mentioned him on this before. His books, you know, are unique. They're a little weird but they're all biblical. He's just digging through the scriptures and saying, I really want you to think this through. You know, I mentioned earlier the Kenite controversy. There are scholarship articles everywhere. I think most people think that we've just taken this faith and we've just sort of accepted it because a cynical teacher told us to, or because a pastor once told us like, this is what you need to believe. No, we are researching it. We are spending time digging into God's word. And all it's doing is coming back with some really cool answers to some really cool questions over and over and over again. So don't be afraid of your Bible. Dive into the whole thing, and when you read something you don't understand, do the homework, go find a resource that'll help you, and dig in. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Yamcast. You can check us out at yamcast.podbean.com or on any other podcasting apps like iTunes. We would love it if you'd leave us a review that is any number between four and a half and five stars. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. If you'd like more information about us, you can check us out at parkhillschurch.com or on the app store with the Park Hills Church app. We are also on Instagram, so give us a follow at The Yamcast. Mom! <laughs> Dave! I need some ice! I think I might have broke my finger. Hey, did I get any emails? <laughs> I want some Cheetos! <laughs>